day keeps the doctor away. I don't think that's true. I think that kind of does the opposite when you get fucking liver failure. <laughs> welcome, everyone, to the Hecate's Doorway podcast. Welcome, welcome. My name is Brandon. And I'm Gabriel. And today we are going to be dunking on Elliot Roger for an hour. Yay! What the fuck's Elliot Roger again? That fucking whiny incel who made that video. Like, I don't understand why women don't like me. I have a fancy car and Armani sunglasses. I'm literally perfect. Oh, he sounds, sounds like the most annoying dude ever. He's an incel. He's literally the incel that all the incels are like, he had the right idea. Of course. Now, we're going to be concluding our series on Richard fucking Ramirez, the Night Stalker. Let's get into this, boys and girls, and everything in between. Yes, I hope you enjoyed uh, last episode's little break from this. Though this actually is... uh, It's it's still pretty bad. Ah, okay. Alright, so... When we last left off, Richard's latest stolen car was in police custody... But the egos of police districts kept Detective Carrillo from fingerprinting the car till it was too late, and everything they could have gotten from the prince had been baked off in the California sun, and Richard was still on the loose. Which unfortunately (laughs) brings us to his next two victims. There is just no fucking break in this story. Nope. Both Patty Elaine Higgins and Mary Louise Cannon were found almost back-to-back, They'd both been severely beaten before being nearly decapitated by a 10-inch butcher knife. But these two murders seemed to be the final straw in the rest of the sheriff's department coming over to Detective Carrillo and Salerno's side, coming to terms with the possibility of a ser- single serial killer being responsible. About fucking time. I, yeah. It took how many fucking dead people? A lot. It seemed Richard noticed the increased police presence soon after and bought himself a police scanner to avoid heavily patrolled areas. Which is just wacky to me that you can buy a police scanner. I feel, I mean, I'm on either side because no, I don't trust most cops. Mm-hmm. But it's also just weird that like someone who's committing crimes can get a police scanner and just hear what they're all saying. It's Gucci. It's Gucci. It's Gucci. It's Gucci. It's Gucci. Actually, this is nothing... Well, actually, Gucci sucks. So, yeah, this is Gucci. Gucci sucks, ass. Gucci sucks. <laughs> Hot take of the day. <laughs> he spilled the tea. <laughs> Richard's next target was the Bennett. No, not the Bennett family. Not the Bennett's. I know a dude named Bennett. <laughs> oh, no, he's coming after your boy. Fuck you. Actually, good luck if you try and go after him. He may be skinny, but he's tall and he's lethal. That sounds like Richard Ramirez. He's taller than Richard Ramirez. Oh man, you win this one. That night, daughter Whitney forgot to lock her bedroom window and Richard used that as his way in. Father Steve and his wife Anna and their son James were all asleep as Richard quietly entered the home. His initial plan was to bludgeoned them all to death with the iron he'd, he brought with, and Whitney was his first victim. He brought the tire iron down on his car 20 times, but she screamed as hard as she could throughout, and Richard began to panic that her screams would wake the rest of the house, as he ripped the phone cord from the wall to strangle her with. Oh, this one's wacky. As he tightened the cord around the throat, 
The escaped electricity created a short of blue haze around her which freaked Richard out for whatever reason, scaring him so much that in fact he stopped his strangulation and fled from the home. Wishing again he'd worn in the brown pants, Winnie would survive the attack and go on to describe the tall man with the bottom mouth and the smell of wet, wet leather. In all this, Richard would also leave behind another shoe print. Yeah, he like... In so he's like strangling with the cord, and I guess the electricity made her glow blue. And Richard was just like, "Holy fuck!" Right, not dealing with this. Not I don't dealing with this. I don't know what he thought it was. I don't know if he thought it was like Jesus interrupting, or like I don't know what. But yeah, maybe that's, he thought he was gonna get electrocuted too. Maybe he just he freaked out. He was just like, "Nah, nah, I ain't doing this." Richard would leave that shoe print behind again two more times in rapid succession. One left behind at the murder of Joyce Lucille Nelson, who he'd beaten to death, leaving the print behind on her face. And another time, during a robbery of Sophie Dickman's home, who he let live after making her swear to Satan that she had nothing of value to take from her home which is also just another crazy display of Richard's unpredictable habits of letting some live and others die for no apparent reason, other than maybe to tell the tale of the Night Stalker. That brings us to July 20th, 1985, when Richard would enter the home of Maxon and Layla Needing. With a newly purchased machete, he sliced through the screen door and went on the attack. He sunk the blade into Maxon's neck, but found it wasn't sharp enough to slice through the spinal cord. So he pulled out his gun and shot Maxon in the head, before turning on his wife, shooting her three times in the face. Apparently, Richard had planned to chop both their heads off and leave them on their front porch for the neighborhood to discover in the morning. But as that didn't go as planned, Richard left the bodies where they lay, filling up a pillowcase with their belongings, and left on the freeway as he usually did, to go sell his ill-gotten gains. And that just also shows you how much of an edgelord... <laughs> like, this is just... This is what happens when an edgelord and a serial killer are the same person. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, it'd be so sick if I just killed these guys and left their fucking heads on the porch for people. That's what, like, 15-year-olds say when they're, like, having, like, their super edgy fits. Oh, yeah. Like, when they're mad at their fucking parents. Like, man, I should just kill my fucking mom and dad and put their heads on the porch. But this piece of shit actually tries to do it. Yep. Sadly. And he almost did it. <sighs> yeah. Soon after that, Richard went somewhat outside his usual kill zone to the home of... Well, good luck with these. I'm sorry. Like, n- <laughs> I, could, <laughs> I could not figure out how to say their names. I apologize ahead of time for butchering the names of victims. I'm, uh, I think uh, it's like Chainerong and some Kid... Kovananth? Possibly? <laughs> We're so the sorry. I don't know. Through the unlocked sliding doors, Richard entered the home of the sleeping couple, shot Chain Chainerog in the head, and brutalized some kid before ending her life. Richard again took what he thought he could sell from the home and made his way back to LA. And not long after Richard would be out of out for blood again. This time, making his way to the home of uh, Elias and Sakin Abo- Abowas with a newly obtained Uzi. A Uzi? <laughs> He's got Jesus. a fucking... I know, he just got an Uzi. 
though he chose to use his .22 instead, instantly killing Elise with a single shot to the head. He then tied up Sakin, demanding to know where the jewelry was. He then beat and raped her, only stopping to tie up their eight-year-old son when he entered the bedroom. Sakin repeatedly swore to Satan that she would not scream. Did you mean to write Satan? Yeah, he makes people swear to Satan. He's like he's like Batman. He's like, no, swear to me. He's Damn. like, no, you swear to Satan, not swear to God. Okay. Yeah. She would not scream at all. At all, and in the end, Richard let them live. Yeah, that's just that's one of his things. He likes to make people swear to Satan, and he likes to call people bitch, and he just likes to randomly let people live after fucking torturing them. So, by now, Richard's description. And an eighty thousand dollar bounty had been made had made its way throughout L.A. And while the usual fence Richard sold all his stolen goods to surely began to put the pieces together, he couldn't contact the police without selling himself out as well. Though a cab driver certainly tried. But by that point, Richard had boarded a Greyhound bus for San Francisco, where he quickly picked up where he left off in L.A. An unidentified Asian woman was his first victim as he stalked her back to her home and beat her to death once he followed her through the front door. He then committed his first burglary in San Fran, and with both those boxes checked off, he decided this may be his new area of operation. On August 18, 1985, Richard would break into the home of Peter and Barbara Pan. He popped the screen out of an open window climbed into the home and shot both victims in the head as they slept. He then took Barbara's lipstick and wrote, Jack the Knife. Really? Really? He tried to be like Jack the Ripper? He's a fucking edgelord. Oh, I swear man. to God. I'm sorry. I swear to Satan. And he drew a pentagram on their bedroom wall as well before leaving. I don't know what that was. If he was trying to like just be f- funny or if that was like, you know, I need a new nickname. Jack the Ripper? Nah. Jack the Knife. That's so dumb. It's so dumb. So dumb. So fucking dumb. San Francisco police noticed right away that this was a work as a night stalker, and the mayor of San Francisco, Diane Feinstein, added an extra $10,000 to the reward money, and for whatever reason, during this press conference, she also decided it was a good idea to tell the press, and therefore the entirety of the public, which included includes Richard everything officials had on him, most of which hadn't hadn't yet been public knowledge. One of these not yet public divulged pieces of information happened to be the Avia shoe print Richard had been leaving behind, and once Richard knew that, he tossed his said shoes over the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, this dumbass. That's a very dumb thing to yeah. do. Yeah, she's just like fucking rambling off everything. And the cops are like, no, and people don't know this shit, but they need to know. No, they don't. Because then Richard knows. He's like, oh shit, my shoes is my shoes is rare. Buy shoes. Surprised he didn't just sell them. I mean, I could imagine that might be like a slight panic when and she told everything. Like she's like telling the public that they're yeah. tracking him by his shoes because only six people in LA bought this shoe. So he's like, oh shit, I gotta get rid of these. Yeah. At that point, it's like, oh man. Richard's next crime would take place south of Orange County, attempting to keep out of the public eye as best he could. He broke into the home of Bill Carnes and Carol Smith. He would shoot Bill three times, but Bill didn't die from those shots immediately. Carol would wake up in terror from the shots, 
and Richard took advantage of the opportunity to proudly announce he was the Night Stalker. And when Carol would cry out God's name in fear, he would tell her, Don't say God. Say Satan. Say you love Satan. She did, but that wouldn't stop Richard from defiling her, only leaving her alive because she had $400 hidden in the home. As he drove away, a teenager who was fixing his scooter in his front lawn saw him drive away. As he did, he made a point to write down as much as he could make out of the license plate as he noticed Richard driving around the neighborhood earlier with his lights off and thought it suspicious. It was around this time that the taxi driver from earlier got a chance to talk to the LAPD about Richard. Jesse Perez told the police how Rick, as he was called by the the cab driver, would take the cab to go fence stolen goods and how he wouldn't shut up about Satan whenever he was in Jesse's taxi. He also gave them the name of Richard's regular fence, Felipe Solano, who'd been given up to the police earlier by a snitch. With a search warrant, they entered Felipe's home and found a metric shitload of evidence. Not much later, Richard's last stolen car had been found and fingerprints were lifted off the rearview mirror. Later, they would get his full name from some of the people Richard had sold stolen goods to in San Francisco when they noticed some of the items they had been sold were tied to recent murders in the area. So it's all starting to come together. It's all coming together. It's all coming together. Finally! Another fence sold out Richard telling police the last place they'd know him to be staying. The Bristol Hotel in the Tenderloin. Yeah. Uh, it's called the Tenderloin District, I guess. It's like a... Ah, uh, okay. It's like a red light district. Ah. They tracked him down to room 315, and when they entered, they found more prints and pentagrams drawn on the bathroom door. With those prints, they were able to find an arrest record for petty theft in El Paso for one Richard Ramirez. With this, they had a name and a face to the Night Stalker and put that all over TV stations and papers. But at this point, Richard was on another bus to Tuscan. Tucson. Tucson. Fuck you, it's Tuscan. (laughs) Tuscan Raiders. To, Tus- to Tucson to see his brother. He went on vacation. Waiting for his brother to get home, Richard just hung around the bus station until he noticed plainclothes officers enter the station. He still had no idea of the gravity of this situation, but still had a bad feeling. So he got a ticket back to LA and made his way back home. That next morning, Richard arrived back at back in LA, noticing officers monitoring outgoing buses as they all assumed he'd be trying to leave town, not knowing he'd already left and was making his way back. Richard moved past the cops to Mike's liquor store for a coffee and a donut. As he was at the counter, two elderly Latina women pointed at him and said, El Matador, or as in English, the murderer. It was then the newspaper rack caught his eye. There, right on the front page, was his mugshot. Oh yeah, this is when it all... Nice. Richard darted out of the store, but the owner had already called police. He tried to get onto another bus, but was immediately recognized as soon as he entered. So he ran off the bus and attempted to steal a car, but the owner noticed him and immediately attacked him and chased him as he fled. Richard ran through yards, hopping fences, and even got smacked by a spatula when he ran through a man's backyard cookout. Shots of El Matador filled the streets as Richard ran, but this chase scene straight out of a movie came to an end when a man named Manuel Del Toro chased Richard down and clocked him in the head with a steel rod. Oof. Mm-hmm. 
Soon after, Richard was cuffed and driven down to the to be interrogated. To which he apparently just beat his head against the table while humming his favorite song, "Night Prowler" by ACDC. Yeah, that's his favorite song. That's of course, he, it would be. Yeah, so that I love. That's that's fucking great. He's just like running everywhere, and everyone's like, "Hey, yo, that's a fucking Night Stalker," and they all just fucking gang up on him. <laughs> Nice. That's great. I love that. All right. So Richard would plead not guilty and go back and forth between looking bored, aroused, and just plain laughing as his trial went on, all while wearing sunglasses and cords so he could sleep, calling the judge a motherfucker, and firing as many attorneys as he hired on. His trial would last for four and a half years, but ultimately... He would be found guilty on all charges and be sentenced to death by lethal injection. When his sentence was read, he would reply, Big deal. Death always came with the territory. As well as, See you in Disneyland. Which was apparently a family inside joke. (laughs) Though, as we mentioned at the beginning of part one, he would never make it to the lethal injection as in 2013, he died from a combination of lymphoma, liver failure, and hep C. And so ends the story of Richard fucking Ramirez. Finally. I know, finally. Though I have one thing I want to share with you. Oh, what is it? So, in the main source I used for this, the last book on the left, yeah. at the end of their uh, little go-through of Richard Ramirez, they have uh, a letter that Richard wrote. I don't know when he wrote it. I don't know if it was before or during his murder spree doesn't really matter because it's fucked up when you really think about it. Yeah. But um, it is a letter that he wrote to a magazine called Hit Parader. It's a music magazine. Oh. He wrote it because he was mad that they weren't putting ACDC on the cover enough. Oof. So let me, let me read this to you. Oh, this will be I, interesting. I don't know how to do a Richard Ramirez impression. So without sounding like an asshole, I'm just going to read it. <laughs> Because he doesn't really ha- he doesn't have a, like a distinct voice, I don't think. It's not as fun as pretending to be Richard Chase. <laughs> True. I can read this whole thing in Richard Chase without getting annoyed <laughs> really fast. It was also rejected. They, they were like, "No, I'm not putting this in." Yeah, because this is like one of those magazines where they put like letters from the fans in. Yeah. This is this is equal parts funny and just fucked up knowing who it is. Okay, Oof. so to whoever edits this piece of shit. I'm ACDC's number one fan. None of these so-called fans love ACDC as much as I do because they aren't willing to go the distance. I'll go the distance. I started the first ACDC fan club in LA. Well, right now it's just me and my pal Lloyd Stevens, who turned out to be a total pussy because he won't even come to see the he won't even come to the meetings anymore. Ooh. I met Lloyd in the mosh pit at a concert in Sacramento. He seemed like a real hard-dicked motherfucker. What? I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know if that's slang. <laughs> you know, a real hard cock in the pit. I mean... <laughs> he punched an old lady in the face, and I thought, this guy can rock. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> Lloyd and I started this club, and I made us, like, 30 patches. I hand-stitched every one of these fuckers. I put blood... Sweat and tears into every stitch. Only we've had some trouble recruiting now, and Alma is mad because I threw a tire iron at his mom when she told us we couldn't hang out in her garage anymore. 
Well, that's not the point. The point is, I want more articles about ACDC. I'm so sick of looking at David Lee Roth's dick through his tight pants. I could stab someone. Rat sucks. Ozzy looks like a bloated Avon lady. <laughs> and Damn. if I see one more article about Journey, I'm gonna puke. <laughs> I want more Angus and less Winger. Motley Crue looks like weak cum cover covered in leather. What the hell? <laughs> Your rag mag isn't even good enough to use as toilet paper. And trust me, I've tried. I'm gonna go absolutely insane unless you give me unless you give more credit to ACDC for being the most badass guys other than myself. And trust me, I shoot to thrill and fucking shake people all night long. You pussies wouldn't know how to do either of those things, though. Because you're too busy putting Kiss on the cover so 10-year-old girls will buy your shit. Kiss pretend to be metal even as they market their bullshit band on kids' lunchboxes. Kiss doesn't stand for Knights and Satan Service. Satan doesn't want dudes like Peter Chris, who look like a gay cat trying to paw a mouse to death when he drops. <laughs> and Gene Simmons... Who uses that long tongue of his to lick his own ass? Ha. Huh. I guess they really are both like gay uh, cats. Mm. How the hell can you call yourself a metal mag when you put Warrant on the cover? Janie Lane looks like he blow dries his hair as much as he blows Rob Halford's dong. His breath is worse than mine. <laughs> and mine <laughs> smells like a cemetery fucked a landfill and aborted the baby. You guys should be ashamed of yourselves. Guns N' Roses need to change their name to Guns and Posers because that's what they are. Sash looks like a stoned tumbleweed. And Axel is such a skinny bitch. I'm surprised Dio hasn't tried to fuck him on the party bus yet. Paradise City for Guns N' Roses is filled with weak-ass drugs and dudes. And in case you were wondering, I am ACDC. The bells that ring in hell ring for me, for I am the Night Prowler. The one who's about to rock, and the hate seeker of destruction. Angus Young is my spirit animal. I practice doing his kick dance on every screen door I see. ACDC inspires me to be the screen door intruder my mother never wanted me to be. But fuck it, my cousin would be proud. So put ACDC on the cover, assholes. Richard. What the fuck? That's like seriously, just what? <laughs> that's more fucked up because you can tell towards the end that this is while he's being the Night Stalker. Oh yeah, talking about kicking in screen doors and then that fucking tribute to his fucking cousin. Of course. Well, I, I just I had to read that. Okay, so that was the Night Stalker. We're all done now. Nice. Until we do our next serial killer, <laughs> which Yay. is probably gonna be Ted Bundy. So get ready for that. But until then, thank you all for listening. Remember to rate us wherever you're listening. Five stars only. Of course. We do not accept four, three, or two, or one. Nope. Never. Uh, email, Twitter, Patreon, all, all the show notes. Um, we'll just say it again. There is a, a true crime fest going on in our state of Washington. Yay! If you guys are going to be there come look for us. We're probably not going to be on the official bill, but we'll be there. I doubt it, but we'll be walking around and enjoying all the festivities. I'll have my ACDC hat on. <laughs> oh no, I you spit. Fuck you. <laughs> okay, that's enough for now. 
Thank you all for listening. Hail Satan the right way. Have a good night, good day, good evening. Take care.